Teacher, what star is that? said where you been i've been trying to get in touch the party's up in watts i said i don't give up whoop if you want to go just wear neutral colors if anybody asks you just tell him you my brother bat 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 bam 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 i'm fitting to act a fool stop pretending like you really rock with the west coast man that was king t bro king t is the west coast schoolie d you understand what i'm talking about seriously and now that we got that out the way Thank you for listening to FarsideTV.com. You are locked into Side Life Radio, baby. And as always, I am your host, Adisa the Bishop, a.k.a. the Black Dragon of the West Side, a.k.a. Zato Ichi, a.k.a. the South Bay Shogun, Shogun, Shogun. A.K.A. the Iron Hook Assassin. Respect that, boy. Also known as the Black Cortez Killer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Also known as the Black Essay. <laughs> Simon. Ain't nobody triller than me, homeboys and girls. Bishop Chronicles is the world's first podcast dedicated to giving you West Coast perspectives on hip-hop, health, and fitness trends. Ain't nobody out there lacing your cranium with this here vibranium like a decent sort of bishop so you can be down now or you can bow down later because the West Coast OGs, mm, 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 we stay greater, greater, it, it, but greater, it, greater, it, greater, it, Greater. If this is your first time listening, understand that this this show, what we do here out here on the uh, Bishop Chronicles podcast, you know, it may not be the best thing. Oh. But it's shown up is the West thing. But it's shown up is the West thing. But it's shown up, shown up, shown up, shown up. Shown up is the West thing. Please do me and my boy Mike Rome a favor. Mike Rome is my producer. Give it up for him, ladies and gentlemen. I want a golf clap for my homie. Um, please do me a favor and subscribe. Uh, that's going to be on iTunes, uh, Spotify. Uh, Libsyn, uh, YouTube, uh, a mix cloud. Getting a lot of props for that Takashi Six Nine show. Learned about a lot about snitching, huh? Learned a lot about snitching, huh? And and if you listen to my interview with my man Stephen Kesting, what did you learn about the dangers, the pros, the cons, and everything therein about uh, reopening, doing jujitsu at the gym, yoga, all of that? Their health and fitness. That's what we're about. Keeping you. Alive and happy and healthy. You're welcome. That's what we do. So I just want to thank the BCP Army for sharing the shows because I see the growth. So your job, my request, it's not really a job, right? I mean, 
We're all out of work right now, aren't we? So let's just make it uh, our job spiritually, uh, mentally. Pass the show on. One show to one person. It can be the last Takashi show. It can be the Nipsey Hustle show. It can be the coronavirus show. You know what? Hella people like that corona show. If you've missed it, stop slipping. The bottom line is we have a veritable cornucopia of topics for you to uh, embrace, engage, and pass on. And I thank you for doing that. And now we move on to the heart Heartbeat Props. Heartbeat Props, if you've never listened to the show before, is where we give props to people who have made our week, our life, our year easier. I want you to call three people, talk to them for five minutes, texting does not count, and you have to tell them why you appreciate them, why you got love. Okay, so first up, drum roll please, armbar underscore Austin. These are all IG, by the way. Armbar underscore Austin. My man been posting really good stuff. Never met him. Seems like a cool guy, though. You know what I'm saying? He posts positive things, dealing with jujitsu, fam, life, and living, and I appreciate his posts. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to you, player. Also, at Ghetto Dojo West. Yo, Ghetto Dojo. Again, somebody else. I, I, you know, I, I, I came up to him through, 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 through Raka. You know what I mean? Dilated peoples, dilated marathon. Anyway, um, Ghetto Dojo does a lot of dope stuff with the jujitsu community out there. And I'm trying to let you know, like, why, why are you only shouting out jujitsu people right now, Dees? Well, because if you are a jujitsu person, a yoga person, someone who worked out regularly, maybe you went to goals, maybe you went to 24-hour fitness, whatever. Maybe you just went to random gym with the homies at the college campus. These are hard times. You know what I mean? And so a lot of the stuff that Ghetto Dojo be posting, it, it, it inspires the OG. You know what I'm saying? And finally... Um, Giving a shout out to someone I do actually know, uh, at Hello, I'm Deshaun. Uh, he is someone you should absolutely be following. Uh, he runs a company called Dream Ear. Incredibly uh, brilliant, passionate, and uh, hilarious person to know and you know what like sometimes like i know when you hear me like this on the show like you know what i'm saying some of y'all might think this is really how i be yo man the bishop is an introvert dog i'd be tucked in the cut i'm really quiet you know what i'm saying this is kind of like an alter ego um and uh when i get too quiet deshaun always checks in deshaun uh for real much love to you dog and um, check him out. Check his music out. You know what I'm saying? If you're trying to get beats made, that's where you go. If you're trying to get some film stuff done, that's where you go. Um, at hello, I'm Deshaun. D-E-S-H-A-W-N. For those who are wondering on the spelling. The West Side Word of the Week. It is that time. It is that time. When we help you understand how we do out here. You know what I'm saying? Um, West Side Word of the Week is Dusty. Dusty. Uh, what is a dusty person? A dusty person is someone who's kind of like somewhere between, it's like, you know, really not that cool. Think anything around your house. If it's dusty, do you want to pick it up? No. So let me set the scene for you. You didn't go to the house party last week. This is pre-corona. You didn't go to the house party last week and your boy came up on a fly girl and he shows you, blow, bruh, look at her dog. Is she fine though? And you're like, yes. She is fine. You came up. I didn't. And so naturally, the next thing you ask is, but now are her friends popping and how do I engage? Lace me. And he'd be like, nah, bro, her friends are dusty. They dusty. You know, this could be 
uh, due to like low grade swag. This could be to, uh, you know, frumpled clothes. You know what I'm saying? Uh, could be to an overall lack of glow and happiness. In any case, they're dusty. And because you're my boy, I'm not going to put you in contact with dusty ladies. You know what I'm saying? And that is your West Coast Word of the Week, brought to you by The Streets. The Streets will kill you. And now it is time for the weekly haiku. A haiku is a Japanese poem of three lines. These three lines are uh, made up like this. The first sentence is five syllables. Use whatever words you want, but you got five syllables. The next is seven syllables, and the last line is five syllables. So it's five, seven, five. And usually these things are themed. I have a book of themed haikus coming out as a part of my upcoming book, A Dead Man's Diary. Now, this one is going to be dedicated to the practice of meditation. Um... When I meditate, I go into this one particular state that I call the blackness, right? Like I can go dark, which means I'm in an actually like bad mood, right? Like I'm I'm in a, I'm not cool to necessarily be around, um, especially for ex- extended periods of time, right? Kind of like somewhere trapped in a spiral of anxiety or depression, right? But then when I'm in the blackness, that is when my meditation has brought me to a place within myself where I'm really at peace, right? And I'm free to move around within my own head and heart uh, and my own mind. And so uh, this haiku is for that. All haikus do not rhyme, but most of mine do. Um, Mike, for this one, man, you know what I need, bro? I need like some crystal bowls, you know, those meditation bowls. And I need some nature, maybe like a... Maybe like a, you know what I'm saying? Let's take it old school. Let's go back to the ocean, bro. Let's go back to the ocean. Yes, yes. Here we go. Lost in the blackness. Selenite crystals above. This is true self-love. Know what I mean? We're not just talking about knowledge itself. We're talking about self-love. One more time, run it back. Lost in the blackness, selenite crystals above. This is true love. Vibe out, feel that. Word, word, thank you, thank you. Yo, if you got a haiku or if you write them, send them to me. Hit your boy on the DM, at Bishop Chronicles. You know what I'm saying? Or at Real Hip Hop Chess. Do what you like. You know what I'm saying? It's like a digital underground kind of war right now. Chess and life strategy of the week. Kind of deep, you know. Um, I should have put them in heartbeat props, but I'm going to shout them out right now. Abel and Judy, actually, over at uh, Mechanics Chess Club. A lot of people don't know Mechanics Chess Club is the oldest chess club in North America. And um, they had me on... One of their Zooms, you know, during one of their youth tournaments, which was unbelievable. They had 300 kids playing online chess. By the way, if you haven't gone to chess.com and set yourself up a uh, 
a situation, you should. You should go to chess.com. You should encourage your kids and your loved ones to get on chess.com because chess is one of the biggest games in the history of the world. It is one of the oldest games in the world. And it is a game that transcends, obviously, age and race and religion and politics and all the things that normally separate us. So I am a big champion of it. Anyway, I want to shout them out because they had me on their show with some heavy hitters like Paul Whitehead. Real chess killers like Nick DeFermian, you know what I'm saying? It was dope. And I always just love being around them. And, and you know, Judy and Abel have been so kind. Also, shout out to the OG homie, Andrew Schley, you know what I'm saying? But, like, uh, I, was, I, was, I was on with them and talking about, you know, stuff I've been up to, where HACF is headed and, you know... Um, I think it's just really important right now that you take some time to be strategic about your life because what's going on with COVID and everything else, like not on some panic stuff, just being real. Like if you ever needed to be clear about how you're going to think, it's right now. So play chess. I'm actually going to get into a whole new series on the show about chess and life um, in the upcoming show. So be ready for that. As I told you guys, I'm doing a book a week challenge and I slipped last week just because I was kind of in a weird state. And that is to be expected in the middle of a pandemic. Sometimes you're really not there. Uh, But I finished my book, uh, The Book of Forgiving by Desmond Tutu and Umfo Tutu, M-P-H-O Tutu, T-U-T-U. For those that forget who or don't know who Desmond Tutu is, he's like the second biggest leader in South Africa after Nelson Mandela. Amazing. He does a lot of great work with the Dalai Lama. He does a lot of interfaith work. And this book about forgiving is about how do you forgive someone for real? A lot of us, you know, right? You have, most of us have emotional trauma from things that have been done to us um, through the course of our lives. Could be like a collapsed love relationship. It could be... um, a relationship with a relative, right? Sometimes parental stuff, right? Um, And sometimes, to be honest, we just have a lot of serious issues that have come to us through physical abuse, sexual abuse, stuff like that. So the Book of Forgiving is about what is the actual process of forgiving a person who has done us wrong? How do we get to that place? In a way that doesn't make us feel hollow, in a way that doesn't make us... uh, reject or lower our own sense of humanity. Let me read a quick section. He says, uh, we have impulses for aggression in many contexts, but we know we must not act on them. We have impulses for sex, but we understand that acting on those impulses is not always appropriate, so we contain ourselves. Although we are hardwired for revenge and aggression, scientists have also shown that we are hardwired for connections. Our brains want us to connect with other people. Indeed, ostracism or shunning, a refusal to connect, has long been a form of punishment individuals and communities impose on those who arouse their ire, their anger. Scientists are now studying mirror neurons, the mechanisms of our brain that enable us to feel what others are feeling. We are social creatures and our physical survival is just as dependent on happy relationships and social connections as it is on food, air, and water. 
Although this is true, I recognize this does not make forgiving any easier when you're miserable and in pain or when your world has been upended by a random or undeserved act of violence or cruelty. So they go on in this book to show you the methodology behind forgiving. And I think that in this time, in this uh, COVID-19 era, right, when we're stuck inside, when mental health and spiritual clarity and mental Stability is so important. A book like The Book of Forgiving is important. I read this book a long time ago. If you go online, if you go to the website, I actually wrote something about the value of The Book of Forgiving for Hip Hop Chess Federation. This book is actually mandatory reading for people who are in the organization because we are an organization that has nonviolence as the cornerstone, right? We are against violence um, always. And so how do you do that? You have to be strategic in how you practice nonviolence. It's not just about letting yourself be abused and, 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 and not um, healing, but it's also not about letting those who did you wrong do you wrong without uh, a cycle of some kind of uh, emotional reckoning, even if that reckoning is within yourself. So uh, I encourage you to get this book. And it's on that note that I want to get into something that I did a while ago, and I want you to do it for yourself. I want you to write down a list of seven good things that have happened to you this year. Seven good things. Uh, I'm going to read mine, and I think that I've actually went through this list with you before, but I want you to do it for yourself, and it's real important. So I know it's shut down. I know people are on lockdown. I know you know people are losing loved ones, man. We're losing a lot of loved ones. I know a lot of people are like, yo, it's all media hype. It's all media hype. It's only this percent. It's only that percent. Well, I don't care how you feel about whatever you feel, but 100,000 people in America is 100,000 people in America. Okay? I know people that have lost loved ones, and it's not cool. And so I just kind of want to... Make sure that, you know, like, because we're always seeing a a rising death toll, because we're always seeing people fight over masks, no mask, alcohol, no alcohol, wipe down stuff, don't wipe down stuff, uh, social distance, don't social distance. I, I, I think that it's important that we take a step back and think about the things that that have happened to us that are good. Right. So I'm going to go through my seven right now and I'm going to encourage you to write down seven for yourself. And I know if you give yourself some time, you will find seven things. You might say, man, I don't know what's going on, but it's all bad right now. It's not all bad right now. You need to change your vision. You need to change your mind. You need to look from behind your eyes with uh, a sense of mercy and gratitude and joy. And you'll find seven things quickly if you uh, give yourself the time. So my... um, Seven. I wrote these a while ago. I could probably do seven new ones if I'm honest. But um, one, I beat MRSA staff for the second time in five months. Right? I caught it twice. Two, I spent my 50th birthday in London and I loved it. And I can't wait to hurry up and get back. Hurry up, COVID. Get out of here. Um, three, I taught chess in Staten Island, uh, a.k.a. Shaolin with Riza and Xi'an Ming. And I ne- never forgot it or its impact. Four, I was featured on the Stickman song White Belt um, on his latest album, which blows my mind because I, I love I love Stick and I love Dead Prez and he's always promoting uh, healthy things and amazing things. And so I was happy to be on that record. Um, five, Talib Kweli and Chuck uh, shouted me out on the People's Party podcast. 
Um, and I still get people who I ain't spoke to in a while being like, yo, I just saw your name, blah, blah, blah. It's dope, man. And so it's been a really reconnecting thing. But just to be honored by legends is dope. Um, six, I did some drops on the... Uh, Rhymes with Africa remixes by my man Mike Realm. Get those on SoundCloud. And seven, Bishop Chronicles podcast and Hip Hop Chess Federation are growing. So I'm grateful for all of that. I want you to write down some things that you're grateful for. This is an important thing. It is an important thing. And like I said, I've read that list before, but I keep it pasted up on my wall. Because if I don't, man, I'll get depressed too, man. I mean, not being depressed is work. Um... And so I just want you to remember that, that this is important. You know, I recognize a lot of people have lost jobs. I, I, I recognize a lot of people lost their homies. And I know a lot of people are struggling. I'm struggling with you. But, you know, the thing is, is that um, as we struggle, uh, we have an opportunity to help one another. We have an, an opportunity to choose new beautiful paths and new beautiful people to be around. Um, you know, the other day I was talking about this online and a friend was like, yo, just all my dreams have been destroyed. And he was serious, you know, and this is somebody that I care about. And I told him, you know what, though? The destruction of your dreams, as, as, as hard as this has been, has only cleared the way for new dreams to be actualized. And you will see those dreams actualized if you keep your own faith and you keep moving forward, you know? Um, it's a true thing. And so uh, on the next thing, I want to talk to you about something that happened to me this Ramadan. Shout out Eid Mubarak, Eid Kareem to the whole global Muslim family. I hope you all well. If you know any Muslims, uh, give them a dap, throw them a peace sign because it's Eid, you know what I mean? And uh, it's a beautiful time for, for the Muslims. Um, it's been a hard time because normally during Eid, they're like festivals and people kind of get together and families hang out and give gifts. And, you know, COVID-19 is all in the way of that. So many blessings to all of y'all. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because I see a lot of things going on in the, in the Christian church, you know, uh, people trying to gather up at the Christian churches. And, and you see preachers over here saying all of this stuff about, you know, we need to get together and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of these dudes, quite honestly, are kind of like making me want to throw up with their hypocrisy because they're filing for all kinds of grants and stuff. They don't even get taxed, bro. They don't even need that money. And they're not even using the money they got to really help the people in their own community. That's right. I said it. And so for all of my Christian people, or if you know Christians who are really about that, like we got to go gather up thing, because you know what they've been talking about? How a lot of people know that the Christian choirs are one of the reasons this stuff is spreading, right? Because you're singing, which means what? You're opening your mouth, you're, 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 you're singing towards the heavens, right? And that means those germs are going out and cross-contaminating you and other people you love, especially the elderly. Don't do that. Don't do that to granny. Don't do that to abuela. Don't do it. Come on. You know Tio's hella old. We don't have time to be getting him infected or even risking his infection. Chill out. So what I wanted to do, because even though I'm Muslim, people forget that I was Christian. I was raised in a Christian church. And you know what I'm saying? I know my Bible well. So I'm going to give you, uh, whether you're Christian or not, two biblical perspectives on how to chill. And understand the, the, the Bible in this moment. The first is simple. Acts 7.48. Look it up. The Most High does not dwell in houses built by hands. I'm going to say that one more time. Acts 7.48. It is my favorite section of the Bible. Right? 
the most high does not dwell in houses built by hands. What does that mean? It means through the Christian lens, this is all God's house. Right? Muslims would, most Muslims would probably agree with that idea. This is all God's house. You're never not in God's house. You was born in God's house. You're going to die in God's house. But you don't conduct yourself like you in God's house. Hey! I'm just saying. So don't get caught up in going to church. I know you like the social engagement, but you don't have to be around a lot of people. To be close to God. You in God's house right now. I don't care whether you sit on a freeway or you sitting on your own steps. You're in God's house. You can be at the beach, the park. You're in God's house. According to Acts 748. And then there's this other section because people like to talk about Jesus and say they want to do what Jesus would do. Well, you do. Let me tell you what Jesus would do. Let me tell you what Jesus did. <laughs> Matthew, I think this is Matthew 6, 5 and 6. Sometimes my biblical cranium is not as tight as it used to be, but I know it's my book. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Now, Jesus said, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and in thy Father, which seeth in secret, he shall reward thee openly. I just took you to church, ployal. Now, I think that was a King James version, but what I'm trying to tell you is, look it up. He's telling you to stay at home and pray on your own accord. Let that be the reason why you stay indoors. Let that be the reason why you understand that if you're a spiritual person and you want to be with your congregation, that God understands that sometimes you need to stay indoors. And this is that time. And that God knows what you do privately and will reward you for that more than the things you may do in public. Um... Now I got to talk to you about something really interesting that happened to me uh, over Ramadan. Over Ramadan, I became a vegan and it happened through, it wasn't like I saw something on TV. It wasn't like, and keep in mind, um, you know, I've been hanging with RZA for years uh, since like 06, right? I've been hanging with a uh, stick of dead prez on and off for a really long time and um They've been vegan for a long time, and I've always respected it. I've eaten, you know, fairly healthy just because of jujitsu, but I was never even really trying to be a vegan. Shout out to Consolidated, who predate all of them. If you really want to look at the vegan movement in music, I find it um, first and found it first in Consolidated, who was like a techno kind of like... They weren't really hip-hop, but it was kind of like in the vibe of craft work, and I think Consolidated is from the Bay. But uh, you should check them out. Consolidated was dope. Um, they had a song way back. I'm talking about like early 90s. I think it was called The Sexual Politics of Meat. Hella deep. But they made bangers. Anyway, um, 
you know, I've 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 did the Gracie diet on and off. I've I've been doing intermittent fasting for a while, and you know, been studying different books. Like I told you, like Back to Eden by Joseph Kloss who I think you should get that book. It's a reference book on how to eat based on your afflictions. Um, and I've talked about that in other podcasts. Um, and also um, Rays of the Dawn by Dr. Thurman Fleet, which I think is a great book for just general health. And I think that you need those books as baselines to figure out how to eat. But something interesting happened to me, uh, I think the first week of Ramadan. So like on a on a on a... On like a Tuesday, I think it was, I woke up and my body internally was just like, do not eat eggs. Now, I had just bought a bunch of eggs at Costco. So I was like, okay, I'm going to stop eating eggs. But it was like my internal body wisdom was like, don't eat those. So, but I just bought like, you know, when you go to Costco, you get like a whole skyscraper of eggs. So I was like, all right, well, I won't eat eggs after I finish these. So I started making some eggs and then my friend called me and she's like, hey, what's up? I'm like chilling. I'm telling her about my dilemma internally about eating eggs, but I just bought these things and I'm trying to make an omelet, right? And the reason is because my brain says, how can you eat an uncooked abortion from another animal? Seriously, this is the, this is the internal dialogue. And I'm like, Ugh. now flashback when i was like nine i saw a documentary on uh nature and we were in class and there was a lizard and this lizard had stolen the egg of another animal and then ran off somewhere and like broke it open and was eating the inside of the egg raw and all of these kids were like ew ew that's gross and i was like but most of us had eggs this morning i had eggs this morning and i ate eggs all my life until the beginning of this month. You know what I'm saying? And um, I remember back then being like, isn't that kind of hypocritical? Like we're all saying ill, but like we eat eggs all the time. Anyway, my internal clock right now was like, yo, why are you eating eggs if you're eating the stolen abortion of, of an animal? And I was like, yeah, that's weird. And then she's like, but look, you know, those aren't fertilized eggs. Those are just eggs. You know what I'm saying? Like, Chickens lay eggs all the time. But I was like, yeah, but think about it. We take the stolen abortions of chickens and then we scramble them. We make bread. We do all this other stuff. Like, that's weird. Can I really call myself an elevated human being and do that? This is my own internal thing. And I'm telling her about it. And she's like, yeah, but they're not fertilized. You know what I'm saying? She's like, it's really not that big of a deal. She goes, in fact, I have a friend who has a cockatiel who lays eggs. But they are unfertilized. And so... She's wondered what she should do with the eggs. And I said, well, what does she do with the eggs? All right, be careful, y'all. If you're driving, pull over. If you're standing, sit down. If you're sitting down, you're going to need to stand up. I said, so what does she do with the egg? She goes, she takes the egg, she scrambles it, and she feeds it back to the bird. I'm in the middle of cooking this omelet. And she says that. I said, why are you telling it? That is gross. First of all, your friend is a psychopath. For real. Your friend's got mental problems. And you should be careful going over there. Because anybody who would do that is dangerous. But beyond that, 
That's bonkers. I eat the omelet anyway, but I almost threw it up. I felt sick the entire day. I never ate eggs again. Next day, my body's like, oh yeah, no more milk. You ain't drinking milk no more. Like the sight of milk makes me slightly nauseous. And the day after that, no meat. I had meat on the day that I didn't have milk. But after that, I didn't have meat after that. And I've been fine. I've been loving living vegan. I think part of the ability that I'm able to live vegan well is just simply that, um, you know, A, I know how to cook. B, because I've read that book um, back to Eden, I know how to eat based on my afflictions and I know how to eat based on the nutrients that I want. Like I was talking with somebody the other day about what I was making and I said, so you know, I put some mushrooms together, I did this and that, I put some squash and then I put some zinc in there and he was like, zinc? And I was like, I'm tripping because I put parsley in there. I think now about the vitamins that I want and the nutrients that I want, and I cook the nutrients. So when I see squash, I see iron. When I see parsley, I see zinc, right? When I see onions and garlic, I see uh, prebiotics, right? I have a pickle that's a probiotic. I'm not really thinking about flavor, although I cook flavorful, homie. Um, I'm loving living vegan. Sometimes I do have some of those fake meats like a Beyond Meat or some of these other things. Sometimes I do have, I don't know how to say, it's like say, Saitan or whatever, right? Sometimes I have tofu. I rotate all of this stuff. I have quinoa, I have couscous, I have rice, mostly brown rice, things like that. But I'm loving being vegan. And I'm not one of these people that's ever gonna be a militant vegan. This was based on my body clock, not like I saw Game Changers. But then last night I did watch Game Changers and I liked it. It was kind of like smoothing the cement out over this place that I'm at. Um, I'm convinced that living vegan is the way I need to be. I want to thank RZA. I want to thank Stick for pushing me towards this path, right? Um, But this is an internal clock thing. And in a few weeks or months or a year from now, I may eat meat again. But right now, this feels right to me. Also, I've noticed a lot of people who go shopping, people who buy vegetables and people who can actually cook, right? They say, you know, if you, when you go to the store, a lot of times the meat areas be totally gone, but the vegetable section is wide open. So I say that to say this, do not underestimate the value of nutrients and vegetables and fruits, especially in regards to like, oh, I'm not going to be full. I'm not going to get protein. Look up, for real. Look at um, Game Changers, and you'll find out that you're pretty wrong about a lot. Most of the stuff I actually thought I knew, but there was a lot of stuff in Game Changers that I did not know. And And I'm appreciative for it. And I also acknowledge that being vegan isn't for everybody or for all times for everybody. But for me, it's right now. And, um... In these crazy times, especially where there's food shortages, you should look into growing your own food, period. And if you're not going to grow your own food, you should be buying vegetables and fruits locally as much as possible. And with that, now we're going to get on to the next section. This section is deep, man. Uh, Let me tell you right now, Bishop Chronicles is going to take uh, a definitive pivot toward being more cerebral, helping you think and see better and be better physically, mentally, spiritually speaking. And... um, I have Dr. Elliot Gann from Today's Future Sound. Follow him at 
at today's future sound. This guy's a clinical psychologist and a really dope beat maker. And I'm not saying that because he's my homie. I'm saying it because it's true. And we have a long conversation about hip hop and the human mind. Like what happens to the human mind when it's rapping? What happens to the human mind when it is uh, uh, making beats, right? When graffiti is happening, when people are dancing. And this guy has those answers. So I don't care what you do in education, you need to hear this. I don't care what you believe you should do as a parent with your children. And because a lot of parents are afraid of hip hop and part of that resistance to hip hop is why they're not able to engage and why they're not able to help their kid learn the subjects they love. You'd be shocked. You'd be shocked. You will be shocked, but you'll be grateful by the time you get to the end of this episode. This is a great interview about psychology, about education, about how the actual brain works, about the value of hip hop, the intrinsic value of hip hop. And I'm honored to share this with you. Follow my man, Dr. Ellie again. Here we go. Okay, excellent. Peace of the planet Earth. You know what it is, Adisa the Bishop chilling. I always tell you, and you know, that's why you come here. That's why we kick it. I bring the realest dudes. I bring the realest dudes. I give you the knowledge that you think you got, and I sprinkle a little extra vibranium on that. You know what I'm saying? I bring that vibranium for your cranium. You heard me? Now, we're going to jump straight into it. I have um, one of my favorite dudes on the planet right now. Really, we've been, how long we've been doing stuff together? Like two or three years now? Maybe longer? How long? Maybe, how long maybe longer now. I mean, the juvenile hall and, uh, I don't know, is it, it like four like, years? like four years, years, maybe five? You know? Yeah, something like sure. that. Yeah. So I want you all to welcome Dr. Elliot Gann to the Bishop Chronicles. Dr. Gann, thank you for being on Bishop Chronicles. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so, you know, I really kind of want to talk about a lot and because you and I go back so long and we've had so many different crazy conversations, um, I just kind of want to jump in and let people know who you are and what you do. But so that I don't undercut your awesomeness because I know it, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, will you tell people what you do? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I do a lot of stuff. I got a lot of projects, but uh, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, I don't have a traditional, you know, psychotherapeutic counseling practice. Um, I've applied my studies and what I've learned and, and all that and really try to focus on a kind of unorthodox method, which I'm trying to kind of take more mainstream, which is using uh, beat making, using hip hop culture as a culturally responsive mental health you know, intervention initiative in a variety of settings and also an educational initiative um, in elementary, middle and high schools, in um, community settings, in um, juvenile justice centers where you and I have worked uh, together and, you know, with yes. like Rachman Jamal and from Hip Hop Congress. Shout out to yeah. him. And yeah. Uh, and shout out to Rap Force Academy. Go there. Exactly. Um, and actually, I've taught the longest with uh, in terms of anyone I've collaborated with the longest and have co-taught with for the longest period of time, that would be Rachman for sure. Um, you know, it's funny. Same with me. I Probably I same it. with me. <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. You know, it's like 2005 or six. I want to say, I, I, I'm trying to remember. Yeah. 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 Same with me. Crazy. Yeah. 
Actually, maybe a little bit before, because he and I used to work together. We met at a place called the Rikus Center. Oh, okay, uh, yep, yeah. Menlo Park, which 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 I got introduced to him through Shimako Nolan. Yep, I did too. Shimako was um, the was the the connector yeah. there for sure. <laughs> Shimako's the dude. Yeah, Shimako connected me to you. Stirs the drink. Yeah, yeah. Shimako connected me to you. Crazy. This is bonkers. So what I want to start with is this, right? Like a lot of people are probably really confused about the idea that hip hop can be used for therapy at all. And so before we get too deep into this conversation, I really wanted to kind of like ask you to explain to the listeners, especially parents and educators who feel disconnected with their kids or actually fear hip hop. Because this is a problem, right? Like all the time, even with Hip Hop Chess Federation, where people are like, yo, I like the chess, I like the jujitsu, but like, can you give it to me without the hip hop? And so people are scared, and I understand why. But what I wanted to do is, is help the listeners understand exactly how hip hop is or can be therapeutic for, for, for teenagers and, and children. Yeah, and and I think per- perhaps I I can also continue to answer your last question while also speaking to this one in terms of um, speaking about my own personal experience and development, um, where you know I'm a hip hop beat maker producer, uh, you know I don't like to call myself a DJ out of respect for like r- what I would call real hip hop DJs and turntablists and such things, but I, you know I can spin, I can scratch a little, and I've been I've been DJing for years, and that's part of the kind of the culture that I come out of. Um, I also, I, I've been putting on events for many years as well. Um, in fact, we did, I, I arranged and organized, co-organized with Shimako Noble, uh, Mind Games at the Rikus Center way back when. Hey, Mind Games! Yeah, that- What was Mind Games? Tell people what Mind Games was, because it's not, you know what I'm saying, we, we, we taking them into the abyss Uh-oh. of the Bay Area underground. Uh-oh. Will you tell them? Yeah. So, Mind Games was a a one-on-one and two-on-two MC battle back in the day when I was super, super deep into organizing battles and documenting the MC rap battle scene and was just super deep, yeah. And um, so, you know, I organized with Shimako um, to bring all of what I would argue to be the or some of the best, you know, freestyle MCs, uh, battle MCs in the country and arguably in the world to Menlo Park, to the Rikus Center for a series of one-on-one battles and two-on-two battles. Um, and the way I kind of talk about it sometimes is like, for me, now, I put on beat battles now. And so that's really one of my major contributions yeah. to the culture now and has been for the past, um, since 2006. So like 14 years, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, same. Uh, so yeah. So, um, yeah, really, uh, we, we got a bunch of rappers together. We got you know, some youth and hip hop underground hip hop community together. And we put on this, uh, this, this battle and, um, it was pretty amazing to see such incredible, you know, minds. I think it's part of why we called it mind games. Cause it was really, you know, a battle is a mind, yeah. is a mind game, I suppose for chess players like Those yourself. Were sick battles, bro. Those Yo. were sick battles. <laughs> People don't even know. And the B-boy battles that used to happen at Rikers too. Bonkers. You, and you had people like really some of the best rhyming minds on the planet can like and this is where i can i can kind of start to link it so uh, an mc battle is is many things it's it's a, it takes both interpersonal intelligence and now i'm talking about multiple intelligences gardner's theory of multiple intelligences but mm-hmm. you have the intersection mm-hmm. and kind of the um 
I don't know, I feel like there's a synergy or like a, like a synthesis, like things happen in terms of the intersection of, say, interpersonal intelligence, the ability to read crowds and read other people, read nonverbal language, um, and intrapersonal intelligence, knowing your own internal emotional state and being able to reflect on that. So that's, you put those two together and you get what in schools they call SEL, socio-emotional learning and socio-emotional intelligence. So you, you have to have some of that. You also have to have, uh, you know, verbal linguistic ability. Um, which is another, you know, section of the multiple intelligences that Gardner talks about. You know, his idea was that we beyond linguistic, verbal linguistic ability and logical mathematical reasoning abilities that we have multiple intelligences. And so you start to see like the interpersonal, intrapersonal, right, involved in rocking a crowd, in, in breaking down your opponent, mm. in the, the psychological aspects of battling someone. And then you also bring in you know, logical mathematical in terms of the the repetitive patterns and and um, repeating patterns in terms of music and musicality and um, that kind of thing. And then the linguistic, the verbal linguistic of, you know, you, the use of language, vocabulary. But then that combines with the logical mathematical and musical intelligence, which is another one, in terms of how do you assemble the rhymes and how do you use your short-term memory to store certain lines or rhyme patterns that you have and rhyming words on the fly. So you're using crystallized preformed intelligence, like, you know, using vocabulary words that you already know and fluid intelligence, like being able to adapt and problem solve in the moment. So if you see the crowd starts to shift towards your opponent in terms of favoring them, or your opponent comes with a really crazy diss that you have to rebuttal, you have to be able to think freestyle, use free associative, you know, um, access your your kind of unconscious, but also channel that into a, like a synthesized, uh, really like meditated and and like crafted rebuttal that rhymes, hopefully, right? And so you may take a phrase that someone you know raps about you and rhyme something in return to prove to the audience that's the interpersonal intelligence, right? That it's freestyled and and that you're really brilliant. And so, you know, it, it's it, it's all it's all a mind game. That's why it's such an apt title. I don't know if I think Shamako maybe yeah. maybe came up with that name. I can't remember. But um yeah, so that was I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked either. Uh and Shamako is a you know is a pretty sick freestyle MC and battler himself. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. yeah. And, and when I think of lyrical swords, I think of your book, and I think of Shamako because he's the one who at the I don't know what hip hop summit it was at, or yeah, he introduced bro. us. Yeah, you know what's crazy about Shamako? Just to talk about wisdom and like mm. spontaneous, just like ability. So I used to, I used to have my first internet radio show was called One Mic, uh-huh. and Shamako used to come to every show. Okay, <laughs> in San Francisco, uh-huh. where we would record over off Broadway. Right. And so I'm talking about hip hop news and interviews and whatever. And sometimes stuff was highly political, mm-hmm. meaning like I was interviewing people that spoke at the UN. Uh-huh. You know what yeah. I mean? About like climates of war and all this other stuff. And at the end of every show, he would freestyle about everything you talked about. Synopsis of the show. Yo, that's ill. Bro. That's ill. Like people don't really understand. No, no, they, they don't. Like, and he would blow people away, yeah. man. Like, I remember DJ Cuber came through. He was like, what the? Everybody was tripping off that. Like, and I think that like, People often under, underestimate the intelligence that it takes to actually just do hip hop, let alone That's be so true. in the upper echelons of, of, of performance. And I, and I would say, per what I was just talking about, the multiple intelligences that it takes. And so that's part of a comprehensive theory that I've been developing since I was pretty much like 17 or 18 when I first started to have the thoughts about – because I put – okay, so – 
give a little context. I'm, I'm a psychologist, so I'm not a medical doctor. My stepmom is a child psychiatrist psychoanalyst. So she's a medical doctor, but mm-hmm. is trained in psychoanalysis, which is intensive psychotherapy, like four or five times a week. Uh, my, my dad mm-hmm. is a psychiatrist psychoanalyst. Again, practices psychoanalysis with many of his, his patients or clients four or five times a week. Mm-hmm. My mom <laughs> is a psychologist, psychoanalyst, same thing. Uh, she does short-term therapy. It, so is it safe to say you were born for this? Can we say that? Can we say you were born I, for Well, this? I mean, yeah, I suppose so, right? But if, if I have step-parents, then it, it really, yeah, it was both the biology and the, the environment. And that's the perpetual debate, isn't it? Mm. Nature versus nurture. But um, look, mm-hmm. if, if I had had, you know, uh, parents who were all contractors or construction workers or, you know, I, whatever other profession you can fathom, I probably would be doing something up with, right? more, you know, more related to that. However, um, what I've done is I've taken my passion and my interest. And again, to come back to what we're talking about. Uh, so I've taken my experience with hip hop and the way that I used it um, to help me down, a, a, I think, a mostly healthy, you know, developmental trajectory, a, a healthy development from the time I was a young person, a pre-adolescent, adolescent, moving into middle and late adolescence into young adulthood. And now I hate to say this, but I think I'm, I think I'm about to be moving into middle adulthood. Um, I don't feel like it, but, but yeah, man, um, I'm 39 and, uh, yeah. You're looking pretty young. Player. Well, you know what they say? Sunblock helps us pale folk to not age as much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Have you seen have you seen this TV show Black AF? Have you seen Man, it? I, I is that from the creators of Blackish or I, I'm I'm slacking. I've heard about it. The Blackish people. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Blackish yeah, is so amazing. Look, uh, uh, this isn't real. I know. Yeah. So the dude, he has several parts in the in this first uh uh season yeah. where like when he's talking about white people, he'll be like I mean What's happening when the sun is like your natural enemy? Yeah, true that. Like it's your natural. And he goes off. He, he goes on these whole tangents about white people in the sun. It's hilarious. Yo, well, well, well to speak but, to that. Hold on. Hold, hold, um, you got you to peep this though. So yeah. it goes deeper because as a Ashkenazi Jew, meaning non-Sephardic, Sephardic were the folks that got mm-hmm. kicked out of, of the Iberian Peninsula and were persecuted in Spain during the Inquisition and tortured and killed and driven out and all that. So Ashkenazi, more light-skinned, Eastern European, right? Russian, Ukrainian, Polish, Romanian. Nah, nah, nah. So I, yeah. I am a, I'm right. a Ukrainian, Russian, Romanian Jew. But, but you, one could say um, that, you know, you think about vampires and all that kind of stuff. Well, so... Part of my family is from our Romanian Jews, and Transylvania right. is in Romania, right? And actually, if you look at Dracula and the early iterations of, at least in film, is it's actually arguably pretty anti-Semitic, right? And it's aimed at like you know, but the, the the stereotypes of like the Jews drinking the blood of Gentile babies and you know that kind of nonsense. Interesting. Yeah. I've never actually read any of that. You should you should Google it. It's pretty interesting because it the, they talk about the aquiline nose and like you know all this like the Jewish features. Ah, okay, yeah, okay. It, it's pretty interesting. Anyway, this is to say this is a long, uh, ridiculous tangent, but um, I use Hella Sunblock 
because my mom told me so. And we have a history of, uh, of uh, you know, skin cancer. I went to my, my doctor right. and, and, and we, I, was, I was saying, oh, yeah, you know, I heard like something about how uh, men are more at risk to get uh, ear cancer or something like that. She's like, yeah, because they typically have shorter hair. Um, and they don't use sunblock on their ears. And I'm like, man, I put sunblock on my ears every day, every day, like, uh, you know, on the face, on the, right. that's how we, that's how we live out here in the street, <laughs> in, in, in sunny Oakland, California. Um, that's right. Yeah. So dude, that's, yeah, that, that, and I, you know, DNA wise coming back to the DNA and my, like my, my grandparents, my parents, like you know they've aged well aged gracefully so i feel like it's the dna and it's it's the nature and it's the nurture but man i rock so much sunblock man hey you know what i'm saying we all gotta hey these days with the ozone hole and everything we all rocking it and you know and you know i visit australia so it's you know it gets even realer out there with the big speak of ozone holes stay baking out there yeah yeah stay baking um so you know I next wanted to step into, you know, because I'm not, you know, I've known you for several years right now. So I'm actually not sure when we actually met. Like, I know that I knew about you. You know what I'm 2006, saying? 2006, like, like, I want to say. Something like that. 2005. because yeah, I started hip-hop chess in 2006. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, yeah. You yeah, had yeah, just yeah, put yeah, out yeah. your book. I think it was Lyrical Swords, right? So the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. So I'd have been like 03. Yeah. I think it would have been like, and so, and so the thing, no, I was, I was just going to say, cause I, I went off track about sunblock and Jews and Dracula and that kind of stuff. <laughs> so, yo, so just to answer your question, how is hip hop therapeutic? So I was starting to, so Gardner's multiple intelligences, my, my parents, right? So I read, I pulled this book off the bookshelf, Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences it's called frames of mind it came out like 93, 96. And as soon as I started reading it, I thought, and this is, I'm, I'm in high school, mind you, I'm getting super into like learning about the elements of hip hop. I've just picked up Herb Magazine with Invisible Scratch Pickles on the cover and, and, and reading about how hip hop, the culture of hip hop is like, is cool to have knowledge and learn, right? And so I'm learning about old school hip hop culture, about the five elements of hip hop, the fifth element of hip hop being knowledge. And, and I, and I pull this other book off the shelf that I see my parents have. I was, oh, this is super dope because multiple intelligences you link you can link that and that parallels to hip-hop culture right so you have like kinesthetic intelligence how old were you when this was when this when this was hit seven how 17 or 18 because yeah because I, I remember i love it continue yeah so i so i'm i'm thinking like oh this is so dope because now we can we can really explicitly link the value of all of hip hop culture, whether it's b boying, b girling, breaking, like the dance kinesthetic element, the fi- you know physical body, musical right. graffiti, graffiti, the the geometry, because we all know it's there intuitively, and to a certain extent, hip hop heads, depending on you know how deep thinkers they are, and and how you know linguistically abstractly minded you are, and how much you've had it spelled out, and how much knowledge you've had dropped on you, and that's kind of the fifth element of hip hop: knowledge, knowledge of self, knowledge of culture, and the kind of informal mentoring and and uh, that happens in hip hop, and what you learn in ciphers or from your mentors or other MCs or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so this is to say, I thought, oh man, this is this is it right here because you can totally connect all the all, you you have this idea. Okay, there's more than just book smarts based on lingui- you know, linguistic verbal intelligence and and logical mathematical, like doing math problems. Your receptive linguistic capacities, meaning your capacity to read or listen and understand language that's coming out to you and and process it, decode it and to encode it through writing, 
rapping, speaking, et cetera. And I thought, oh, this is perfect. Because then you can connect it to, you know, you can, you can really flesh out, look, what a rapper is doing is really complex. And it's really easy for someone who, who wants to try to criticize something. My dad told me this. He's, it's from a philosophical perspective. If you're trying to debate someone, if you want to, you know, defeat someone's argument, you, you just oversimplify, Right. And you package it in a, an oversimplified, overgeneralized way. And that's what people tend to do, right, with hip-hop. Oh, I, you know, I see a, a, a stereotyped trope on the news or in the mainstream media, right? Or I see something that's negative about hip-hop, right? And it may not – and usually it's not just about hip-hop. It's like you know, human nature in general or the state – the soci- sociopolitical state of our culture, of our country, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, but you take – you oversimplify it. As opposed to understanding the nuances and the complexities of it. And so here you have something that's pointing out the complexities not only of potentially of hip hop, but just of human nature and experience and intelligence. So you may not be the most sophisticated, you know, verbally linguistic, sophisticated person, best speaker, orator or whatever, um, depending. And that also depends on your environment as well as your innate ability, your the, the, the nature and the nurture. Right. But. You know, if you're exposed to certain things or let's say you listen to hip hop and you refine your vocabulary, your way of expressing yourself. And it can also usually necessarily involves, you know, talking about emotional states that starts to touch on the interpersonal and intrapersonal categories of multiple intelligences that Gardner talks about. So I thought, man, we can totally justify hip hop as having, you know, validity, as having value as doing a tremendous job of, you know, of um, fostering different kinds of intelligence. And also then, then I think, you know, I was, I was cognizant, I was aware of like the, the emotional value of like processing trauma and stress and anxiety, but it, it really, it wasn't until I came across, I think it was Beats, Rhymes and Life, uh, now BRL Inc. here in the Bay, um, that was doing rap therapy. And then I, and then in doing, I remember that was mind blowing stuff. Yeah. And, and so, but then you have Edgar Tyson who laid it out in the late nineties and earlier and coined the phrase hip hop therapy. He was more like his model was bibliotherapy, right? It was, it was taking texts and analyzing the text of say like, you know, Crossroads by Bone Thugs and Harmony and talking about mourning and coping, Mm. coping with loss and death Mm. and you know, wishes and love and attachment and, and relationships. And how they process their spiritual self. Exactly. Yeah. And so Tyson really, he coined that term. So his mentee, J.C. Hall, shout out to him. He works in the South Bronx at Mott Haven Community High School, has been running a hip hop therapy program and built a whole studio there based on that, but really kind of elaborating and fleshing out. And, and same kind of model that Beats, Rhymes and Life has done. In terms of taking it beyond the bibliotherapy and having young people write songs, freestyle, write raps in order to, you know, I think it's the Freud's idea of catharsis. Like you get it out there. It's your therapy. It's a way that you process and make sense of overwhelming and stressful things, right? So that's some of the therapeutic value. Mm. Uh, And then with um, JC, but particularly some folks based here in the Bay who we partner with, really dope nonprofit called Rhythmic Mind. Shout out Max and Jonah. 
um, who are doing amazing stuff, they started to take some of the same trauma theory and neuroscience and and um, trauma research that I was looking at in terms of my therapeutic beat making model, like saying, hey, there's value to making beats, right? It, uh, it calms you down when you're stressed, et cetera. I'll go more into, into detail, but they, they really have connected the dots in terms of, and JC Hall as well, in terms of our discussions and rap therapy, um, the cathartic element of creating a narrative to encapsulate, and I'm using a lot of big words. Let me let me try to uh, speak in, in less jargon. I like these big words, man. We got we got to step our game. Yeah, up. A, no, but I want people. It's a coronavirus era, man. They can Google all of this. You know what I'm saying? No, I want to. You can Google all of these. I don't want to. I don't want to be hella pretentious. Boy, listen, this is knowledge, boy. He carpet bombing your cranium right here. You know, what yeah. Doctor Gan, show him what it is. No, so so yeah, really, really like having both the cathartic element, like channeling and getting out those feelings of of rage, anger, angst sadness, despair, et cetera, talking about your trauma and processing that and putting it into a cohesive narrative, like something that you can understand, that you can repeat and say and understand in, in a, in, and this is where like generalizing is healthy, right? Creating a narrative saying the, the trauma, because trauma is something that overwhelms us, right? And it knocks us off our axis. That's the metaphor that I use. It dysregulates us. It sends us into a fight or flight state where we're flooded with adrenaline and stress hormones like cortisol, or it shuts us down. We go into a collapse state where we freeze or faint, right? And so when people dissociate, they're not able to cope with the reality of the traumatic thing that has happened to them. So when you start to, when people start to be reminded of whatever it was that was traumatic to them, they can often go into one of those stress response states, which were adaptive when we were fighting saber-toothed tigers in the wild or about to be attacked by a predator to freeze or, to freeze or faint, right? That was, you play dead and predators typically don't eat meat or animals that are already dead because they have bacteria and evolutionarily they've died from it, right? And if you, you can also fight or flight, um, you know, you, you got to handle the saber-toothed tiger if, if you can, um, but it's not adaptive for the most part unless you're in a very threatening, dangerous environment. Like if you're in, if you're in the hood, it's adaptive, right? Because you don't know who's going to try to jump you or come right. at you or whatever. Right. Um, and if you're in prison... And someone's trying to shank you or, you know, these really extreme circumstances. If you're in war, you got to you got to survive. But typically for most people, I would say, and I'm generalizing, it's not adaptive in our day to day interpersonal interactions in your relationships with your loved ones, in your relationships with teachers or at school or in the marketplace or on the street for the most part, unless you like, you know, live in the reality of what a lot of the kids that we work with live in, which is like, you know, whether it's East Oakland or East Palo Alto or East St. Louis or, you know, or um, Lavender Hill in Cape Town or El Salvador where we've done work, right? So then you have to understand where these people are coming from and why they're flashing on folks and help them to calm themselves down. And so to come back to what I was talking about, rhyming has rhythmic regulation. It regulates our system. It's repetitive, predictable, Whereas trauma is unpredictable, dysregulates us, thro- throws us into a state where we're just trying to a survival stress response state and rhyming music repetitive beats really helps 
to uh, to regulate our nervous system and bring us out of these stress response states, but also creating that narrative to put words to that which we could not put words to before and which previously caused us to collapse, shut down, dissociate, flash, freak out, right? And all, and all that. So um, Rhythmic Mind really talks about uh, how there's the rhythmic elements and then you're you're having those two things intersect both creating the narrative understanding what happened to you creating your own narrative um and the sense of autonomy and control and power that you give someone because when you're being assaulted or being violated or or you know have something traumatic happening to you 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 lose a sense of control and that's terrifying right and so people who tend to do better in traumatic situations tend to have a better, in, they call it internal uh, locus of control, sense of control over their destiny, themselves, et cetera. But it's really traumatic yeah. to lose that, right? And um, so Dude. so in processing it through the rhymes, the narrative, and the rhythmic elements of it, and putting it all together in a digestible story that you can understand that's not just overwhelmed, you know, totally disintegrated, shattered fragments of an experience, which we store, and we know this, this is Bessel van der Kolk, who's like the world expert on trauma, et cetera. I'll talk about how trauma is stored in the body in split off ways where it's not integrated. And the purpose, the, the idea behind any kind of therapy that's treating trauma is integrating, reintegrating these different split off elements and experiences, whether they be touch or smell you know, things that trigger the trauma or mm-hmm. visual cues, mm-hmm. seeing someone who looks like the whoever, you know, traumatized you, the, you know, the, the victimizer, the right. Right, whatever it is or whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be a person. Usually it's interpersonal in nature. It doesn't have to be right. Um, it could be natural disasters or whatever. But anyway, um, right. is trying to integrate that from these split off parts of the body. And so that's why mindfulness, yoga, meditation, sports dance, hip hop is therapeutic when used in the correct way, right? And breathing exercises. So this is why we've been, uh, at Today's Future Sound, we've been taking seminars and workshops. And now I'm technically, and, and several of my staff members are technically certified like Itoko Garcia, shout out Dr. Itoko Garcia, who, right. who put us up on Naroga. Itoko Garcia, who will be on Bishop Chronicles. <laughs> Yo, he's like the dopest dude ever. Um, so dynamic mindfulness, shout out Naroga Institute. We did the dynamic, the D mind yeah. dynamic mindfulness, breathe, dynamic breathing exercises, which are aligned or work in parallel. You do them in parallel with actual movements. And the whole thing with that, why, I mean, mindfulness and meditation is great in the first place and, and yoga is super dope. But for people that have been exposed to trauma, what, what they're saying is they want to take it a step further than a lot of the other folks in the trauma field who, who just say, yeah, you should do mindfulness, mm. meditate, yoga is really good. And that's scientifically been proven. But they talk about dynamic mindfulness, which is movement coordinated with the breathing. And the reason for that is because if someone is reminded by a certain pose or move or action or whatever of their trauma, of something that happened to them, you want to keep them moving and not have them freeze and be frozen and experience a sense of being frozen, vulnerability, etc. And so you're teaching them how to breathe, which is central, and how to control their breathing and control their body and giving them agency, you know, over the all of that. So hip hop, like many things. I love that. Hold on. Yeah, hold yeah, on, yeah. Hold yeah, on, hold yeah. On. I got to pause you, player, because there's a lot of stuff I ain't even got to dump on you. Okay, okay, let's go. Let's go. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Stuff is floating around up here, player. You know what I'm saying? Now, back to Oakland. Yeah. 
where we met. Yep. Right. Um, a lot of people, I think, underestimate the value of incarcerated youth, meaning like some of the most intelligent and artistic people I've ever met. Yeah. Incarcerated kids yeah. here in Oakland or in St. Louis, San Jose, right? They're all over the world, really. Yep. Right. And I feel like incarcerated youth are very forgotten. Okay. Mm-hmm. That always mm-hmm. troubles me. Out of but sight. What out of mind. I to tell you is what I re- what I remember is like we go into the hall. I would come in and do a chess and life strategies class. Yeah. You would follow me and do uh, a beat making class, and then one of the kids would be writing rhymes in my next class. Like, yo, I'm gonna I'm gonna do something. It's, it's hella sick. I, I was ch- hanging with Doctor Gan, or you know, what I'm saying, unlearn the world, or whoever. Yep, yep. You know what I'm saying, and you know, I really loved seeing those kids rhyme, hearing the dopeness of the stuff that they brought to the table. And so I wanted to know from you, like, tell me a story about a kid that you work with that will always stick with you. Because, you know, I I think it's important and I love what you're breaking down clinically, right? Um, And it's important that our listeners understand the value of everything that you said, but your beat making uh, events and classes and seminars are so important. I want to bring a human face to everything you just said. Share a story yeah, for sure. about one of the students or the first student that really, that really you won't forget because of, of what your classes were able to do with, with them. Yeah, so there's two, there's two folks that come to mind. I mean, there's actually a bunch, but like one of them was a, a young person you and I worked with both. So I'll, I'll touch on them in a second. And you, pro- you probably remember, you may remember who I'm talking about. Um, I, I, I think. Okay. I- but before we get to him, because he was brilliant. And, and these kids are really brilliant. So there's another young man um, whom I, we worked with in middle school um, in Oakland and um, was clearly one of the most talented, gifted, smart kids that I'd come across there at the school period. He could freestyle like crazy at age 12. In fact, him and one of my other students, who I happened to run into as well, um, you know, on the block in West Oakland, I mean, these kids were so smart. They could just, they were like ace freestylers at at age 12 and sick beat makers and drummers, finger drummers, et cetera. So, yeah, this one young man was just really struggling. He had a really tough family situation. It was really chaotic, high conflict divorce, and just, you know, I mean, and other incarcerated youth in the family. You know, it, it was just really, there's a lot of trauma, you know? Um, and he, he loved the beat making uh, class workshop that we used to run at the middle school. Um, we did, we did these beats for lunch programs, particularly at West Oakland middle school, but other schools too. And it was first lunchtime and then became after school. And this kid would bolt down the hallways when it was time for our, um, for our session. And this, you know, this kid was eventually, uh, this young man, his student was, you know, truant. He was wandering around the hallways, you know, during class time, walking off campus. I walked, I, I walked home with him one time because he looked not too far from the middle school. And I, in front of me saw him provoke at least three kids like literally physically like as if he almost didn't mean to do it but kind of did like walk into people as to like 
bump into them to, you know, basically start some beef or start, Checking them. Yeah, start a, start a fight or whatever. Um, and I'd be like, yo, dude, yo, chill. Like, it's not, it's not cool. You can't go around doing that and that's not good for you. And like, you know, let's do something else. But he just was so engaged and sh- just really shined so brightly in his capacity to freestyle, to rap, to perform, play drums, play, you know, uh, he was a drummer to, to, uh, you know, make beats. And that was just a way that was a modality that got him in that allowed him to learn vocabulary words, allowed him to exercise those vocabulary, to learn other things, I think emotionally, interpersonally, and to have a, just a sense of like being okay and not, you know, where he was, he was appreciated and loved where he, sh- where he really like was able to shine without being told like what a bad kid he was and, and ha- you know, being for him to like fulfill this idea of what a bad kid he was by what he had been told and to, you know, act out due to all the, the, the conflict in his family and that kind of thing. Now, you know, I, look, I, I was worried about him, but you know, he, he, you know, he was very engaged. It, it was good while we had him there. You know, he started as tends to happen in, in oftentimes in families where there's a lot of trauma and chaotic, you know, chaotic family conflict and all this kind of stuff. You know, he, he started acting out more when he left middle school and in high school. And um, I ended up seeing him in the hall where, you know, I mean, I was saddened to see him there. That's not the context I want to see him in. Right. I'm I'm happy. That's always the saddest thing yeah. when you work with a kid. Listeners, listen, when you work with a kid and you know they have gifts Mm -hmm. and you know the potential in them, right? Like you can see the scholar in them. You can see the, 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 the artistic and academic brilliance in them. And then when you, you know, you cycle out and you come back into the hall and you see them, it's, 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 it's. It's it's a hard feeling to describe, but it's never it's, it's lightweight. It's lightweight, heartbreaking. But um, you know, it's a weird contradiction because I'm also excited to see him again and have the chance to work with him. And I mean, you should have seen <laughs> this kid jumped out of his seat, you know. And he's like, "Oh, yo, you know, uh, Elliot." Uh. I was like, you know, I half wanted to be like, "Man, what what are you doing?" You know, in here, like, but you know, I, I wasn't terribly surprised it was one of my fears that it was one of the things that that kind of you know I don't say kept me up at night but worried me you know how's that kid doing like how you know I try because I the mom had called me a couple times and reached out to me and I tried to refer them to therapy resources and you know that you know they needed it but um anyway it, it is what it is the kid and the family were coping with a lot and clearly trauma and um and so I saw him and he he was really excited and he was really engaged. He was bought in. He was ready to go. It clearly benefited him. It spoke to him. It was something he was good at. And it was a way, and this is a way, look, the core of, if you want to have a successful therapeutic intervention, if you want a therapy to go well, if you want any kind of therapeutic impact, across the, all the data, all the research across all theoretical orientations and approaches shows, and this is common sense, the number one predictor of positive therapeutic outcome is a good working relationship, is rapport. And that's in large part what I believe often gives us a good rapport is the modality we choose, with hip-hop being the number one most popular genre of music mm-hmm. in the world and the most impactful... Ever. Yeah, Yeah, the most you know, impactful on popular culture and music you know, since 1963, since the Beatles. And this is like studies have been done, statistical analyses, right? And 
you just look at the Spotify numbers and anything. It is it's it's youth currency, hip hop. There's no question. So even if you don't like hip hop, it's kind of like you should be using it. It's kind of like you may not have liked you know the poke go Pokemon Go or whatever. Or think Pokemon's you know stupid or what's the point or right 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 right, right, right. but. If you want to have any kind of relationship with young people and be an effective teacher, therapist, parent, you know, instructional aide, whatever, I don't care, whatever your capacity is, you have to understand where they're coming from and what they're what the what the current, you know, trends are. It's kind of like when you and I were kids, you know, I mean, I don't you, you might be a, a tad older than me, but like, you know, Transformers and GI Joe and Silverhawks and you know, Thundercats, it. right? That was our cultural currency, and and you know, uh, whatever you know, whatever the trading cards were, and Marvel trading cards, and that kind of stuff, yeah. right? And baseball cards with the gum in it, and that so that is evocative for us of our childhood, and it has a certain you know value for us. And if someone would have taught us, you know, Thundercats math, I bet you I would have done even better in math class and been even more interested, and thought my teacher was you know proverbially the shit. <laughs> and, and been really excited about, right. you know, or whatever, whatever each individual person, we all have our preferences. It's, you got to meet someone where they're at. Oh, that's real. You got to know someone who, for who it. they are and, and for, and where they come from. And so being culturally responsive and developmentally responsive, like being tuned in, you know, tapped into where the, where the kids are at or where youth culture is at or where popular culture crucial, is at. Man. Yeah. Like unless someone's like a hermit and they, they don't participate in it or they're really anti-pop culture, then you go, you say, okay, well tell me about your anti-pop culture. And you, you I mean, as a psychologist, yeah, I'll have a field day with that. I'll say, fantastic. Well, yeah. Tell me about this. And you know, so anyway, this is to say Yo. this. Yeah. yeah. No, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Cause like, you you have many levels and I respect mm. that. You know what I'm saying? But like we've only got a few minutes I know, left. I know. And so okay. I need to make sure I need to make sure that 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 I get some of this stuff out. Yep. Now, uh one of the things obviously, right, I've been running Hip Hop Chess Federation for a while now. And I was speaking with a teacher when I first came up with my initial curriculum that I was teaching to seventh graders in San Jose mm-hmm. um in a pretty rough area of town. And um my my class was not only big, but like at lunch, my classroom would still be packed because kids would come in and just play chess, chill out, yeah. do their homework because I'm playing beats in there. You know what I'm saying? Playing Gangstar, playing, playing, uh, 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 you know, Scarface instrumentals and all this other stuff. Right? Was this a Lum Rock or, or something like teachers- that? Like Summit? No, no, no. This was this was a, this was a school that's going to remain. Naked, Go- oh, but, copy that. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so what happens is one of the teachers who, uh, I got really close with, uh, he came over to me one day and he was like, man, you know, I really think, um, I figured out why your class is, is so impactful and why all the kids are attracted to you. And I was like, well, what is it? And he said, you know, this thing called cognitive function, right? Uh-huh. Like, you know, you're teaching chess, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You're teaching like you're, martial Yeah. You're engaging their prefrontal cortex. Engagement. Right, right, and he, and he, and he said, and you're teaching the hip hop aspects of it with the rap, or you know, the the DJing or whatever, because he was from New York. He really oh, dope, hip-hop. yeah, yeah. And he was like, you know, I really think that um, if you start focusing on the role that cognitive, uh, 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 what I just uh, that that executive function executive function, yep, is mm-hmm. playing in what in what you what you teach. He goes, I think that it can help you when you're talking to people at universities yeah. or talking to people at schools. Can you know? I'm asking you, right, yeah. as someone who doesn't know, do you agree that 
that that hip hop, chess, and martial arts are are tools that could possibly engage executive function because you know it's too early to say that they're no I, I can say definitively that, that they, but based on what yeah. you understand does that make sense to well, you that's right? yeah can and you talk to me about that yeah for now? sure and that's what I was trying to get at with Gardner's multiple intelligences it does engage the prefrontal cortex which is all, all that's executive function right there that is thinking learning remembering planning thinking about um, consequences of actions the capacity to think in the future and understand uh, a chain of events right that is executive function and cognitive capacity and uh, for anyone who has any kind of issues with psychoanalysis and thought that freud was crazy where do you think that came from that came from freud and came from psychoanalysts talking who talk about ego functions which is executive function, the capacity to remember, learn, think, analyze situations, look at oneself, look internally. Um, so yes, it does. And yes, and here's the and, this is the mind-body connection. And right. beats, uh, I'm arguing, and this is part of my therapeutic beat-making model that I'll break down in a minute, Beats regulate us. I've talked about this in terms of rhythmic mind and rapping. So when you're rapping, when you're listening to beats, it can it it can put you into a light trance-like state. It can bring you down. It can regulate you. And, Absolutely. And depend Absolutely. and depending on what kind of music you're into and what kind of mood you're in. And this goes to uh, mood and affect, which is some of what some of our folks at University of Melbourne have researched in terms of the music therapy department. Shout out Dr. Alexander Crook. And I'm gonna screw her name up. Um, Doctor Katrina, Katrina, <laughs> no, no, okay. I, Katrina, I no, 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 no. I got, I got this. And I just asked for forgiveness. Doctor Kat McFerrin, Katrina McFerrin. They have looked at this, but like you know, if you're into heavy metal and you're feeling angry, you want this is music, music therapy theory, right? And research, you want mood congruent, or I would say affect congruent, but mood congruent um, music that captures what you're feeling and speaks to it. And that gives a sense, I think, of being met and calming you down, making you feel understood, right? Unless it's music that's really dysregulating you and really sends someone out of control. Now, why am I talking about all this? So, Okay, so the beats playing can help to calm you down, right? And it also has the emotional component, the neurophysiological and emotional component. So there's not only cognitive, I mean, every, you know, you can't, you can't separate mind and body. You can't separate cognition and emotion. In my opinion, everything's correspondent. There is no. I agree. Right? So I agree. So if you have an just to come back to what I was talking about in terms of the rapport, if you have an in with someone and they trust you and you're able to socially engage them, you can bring them out of a stress response state, a fight or flight state. Someone's flashing, you have a relationship with them, they like something about you or hip hop or something that you use, right. you can use that to pull them in, right? And so there's also, in terms of effective learning, I talk about affective, meaning emotions, tagging, right? Where you encode information, you learn differently if you're emotionally invested in it. So if I told you, hey, if you're at the the deli that the LIQ around the corner at uh, 12 p.m. tomorrow because there's going to be a winning you know, lottery ticket and I, I got the inside scoop on it, or if you go there, I'll pay you $150 million, people will remember it because it's important to them, right? As opposed to if you're like, yeah, well, in order to to derive, you know, two x squared to the fifth power, you have to. They're like, what are you talking about? I don't care about this. What what value does this have to me, right? So it, exactly, right. You have to you have to understand your audience and what that what like what's the 
what the, what's the value? What are you offering them? So if you, it's like hip hop. What do they care yeah, about? Yeah. So hip hop is, is like a, a gummy vitamin for kids in a certain way. It makes something more palatable that's like, quote unquote, good for them, right? If you're looking at it from a educational perspective. Mm, that's a deep, that's, I like that. I like that. Well, but hold on. There's, there's two, dude, there's two dimensions dude. here. There's, there's that, right? There's the using hip hop as a vessel to deliver content and information, but there's also hip hop as an embodied experienced experiential learning kind of modality where in hip hop we learn by doing and that's you know project based learning experiential learning all this kind of new educational pedagogy and philosophy is really right. hip hop has been project based learning since its inception since you know 47 beginning right? yeah by necessity Dude, which 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 bring me to this theory right how crazy is it that American education, indeed, arguably global education, has been saved by the people it was built to ignore. Yeah. This is what keeps me up at night. Yeah. Hey, do you, right? do you know... Uh, these kids from the South Bronx yeah. and, 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 and South Central Los Angeles and, 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 and Philly and Chicago, who, who were basically, you know... Not even really on the radar. Not even. You know what I mean? No, they were being ignored, uh, ignored teachers, by it. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And and boxed out became the 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 salvation of American education. Like this blows my mind, man. And this is part of what makes hip hop so magical to me. Yeah. And so this is you know? this is what I the, when I present and train folks and you know because I do presentations to teachers administrators mental health clinicians everyone right like I, I went to rural Kentucky and talked about it was crazy I, I mean I think I ruffled a couple feathers but talked about like trauma and white su- white supremacy and hip-hop and and all of what you know kind of we're, we're touching on now so that's to say I talk I talk about I said look there is nothing to me that is more ingenuitive innovative creative all the things we're looking for with tech startups and silicon valley and education and steam and stem and all this kind of this kind of stuff right then hip-hop like hip-hop continually reinvents itself appropriates samples borrows steals remixes that's really the thing is right the 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 concept of the remix both metaphorically and concretely where hip-hop takes all the the dopest parts the breaks the the best part of the song the best ideas and integrates it into something new. So like the turntable as an example was never meant to be a melodic or rhythmic instrument, right? And it was remixed. It was reappropriated. It was reinvented you know, as an instrument and they broke rules. You're not supposed to touch as the record. Instrument. Yeah. You're not supposed to touch the record. Like you scratch, don't scratch the vinyl that ruins right. the record. Oh, oh really? Well, let me try it. Yeah. See, if you, if you, if you, if you, if you didn't know the deal, like, you know, and, and until, until the, the, the late, late seventies or early eighties, if you touched a record and tried to move it, you would probably be beaten <laughs> yeah, straight by up. Most adults. Yeah. Okay. You would, you would be beaten soundly, like not even kidding, man. Sit down, put the record on, and sit down. Get away from the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can only imagine. So now you, I mean, really, the whoopings that would ensue, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so now you have people purposefully in a music, musical, rhythmic, technologically innovative way, reappropriating technology, using it in ways it's not meant to be. So now... 
the whole, like everything is centered around that practice where it's accepted, where you have literal like DJ controllers with platters aiming, like imitating, emulating turntable platters that are not even real, you know, turntables that they're, they're digital music controllers copying that with a crossfader, right. right? So that's become, so that's central, right? And the idea of beat making, of playing the same loop over and over again and, it, and the break and all that came from hip hop. And this is because of ingenuity, of breaking the rules, of doing what they thought sounded good or, you know, or cool or what they want to do or what they felt. And so hip hop does that. Right. It, it remixes technology, ideas, culture. It reinvents itself. And, and so here's the I, yeah. so here's the parallel that I draw as a beat maker and someone who's interested in that. Hmm. Hmm. And I've, and this is what we've written about in, in some of the articles, right? The therapeutic beat making articles. And I, again, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But in the same way that turntables were remixed, reappropriated, and reused by DJs to you know in the South Bronx to invent this whole new genre of music and way of using turntables and records as instruments where a, where a song becomes an instrument right when you're sampling it or using parts of it so right now uh in parallel in the past 15 years 10 years modern hip-hop and trap music has taken what was originally meant to be just a kick drum the tr-808 kick drum and remixed it and transformed a rhythmic instrument a kick drum which has only one tone on the TR-808, on the original 1979 drum machine that it came from, right, which actually was a commercial failure, by the way, when it came out, but remixed it and turned the, the bass drum into a melodic bass and used it and set a new aesthetic standard, not only for hip-hop, country music is using the finger snaps and using 808s now, be popular music, right? It's totally changed the, the cultural landscape. And some people say for good, some people say for, for bad, whatever. That's that's an aesthetic arc, you know, argument, whatever. But the point is, its impact is undeniable. And the way that it happened, so, you know, it, people didn't know, right? Or these guys didn't care, like these hip hop producers. They just did it because it sounded dope. And some people would say, oh, that's ignorant or that's using the technology in the wrong way. Well, guess what? Who cares? It was dope and it had a major cultural impact. And, and in fact, it's incredibly creative, ingenuitive, brilliant. And just as usual, the same thing that always happens, you have a black form of music or culture, it gets appropriated, you know, white people do it and suddenly it's like palatable or cool or, you know, to, for the rest of, you know, popular culture and white people to like it or whatever. So I think that that's, that's happened time and time and time again. You can see it with jazz, with blues, with rock, with R&B, with gospel, with, you know, whatever, funk, soul, disco, hip hop, house music, you know, uh, techno music. Hardly anyone knows anymore that techno and house music are black American forms of music. Like Detroit was ghetto music. For, it was so you know? real. Pete, yo. Oh, my God. So listen, hold on. Because, like, you are triggering. I'm, I know. I know. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> in a beautiful yeah, way. Yeah, in yeah, a beautiful yeah. No. Way. These are beautiful triggers. I'm not upset. Um, but before, I got I got two, I got two yeah, more yeah, questions yeah, for yeah. you before we shut it down. The first one is, you know, one of my most favorite memories of you Um is me and Dr. Itoko Garcia were at Rock the School Bells. 
um, in, in, in San Bruno, California, over at Skyline College. Shout out to Nate Novato and everybody. Yeah, shout out. I rock the school bells for all of your many years of awesomeness and what you've contributed to hip hop ed and, 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 and given to the West Coast specifically, you know, like, you know, yeah. um, I'm about to tangent too hard, but I get tired of people thinking that hip hop ed is only some in New York small cluster of yeah. people on the East nah. Coast. You know uh-uh. what I'm saying, bro? Like uh-uh. West Coast hip hop ed has been doing it for years, moding and been beast moding. G's out here anyway. Yeah, that's a whole ask Toko about that. Yeah, what I do, yeah. man. Come here. Wait, wait, wait till I get. And I'm from New York. I'm from New York. So uh, you know, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> word word I, I, yeah. you know what I'm saying shout out to the whole to all the boroughs not me exactly now, um what I what I do what I what I what I do want to say is I really do remember you I was most blown away I don't want to say most initially blown away by a presentation you gave where you were teaching algebra through beat making and the thing is th- that that you know a lot of people don't understand that one of the main reasons why high school kids don't graduate is because they fail algebra one. Right. And so when I saw right. you being able to convey math concepts through beat making, um, like it really blew me away. Like I literally walked out of the room and screamed. You, you know, you know who we have to shout out though, because you know who was doing that in large part was Friendly Traveler. What? From KZSU Stanford. Dude, will you break down what was happening? Because that really really like that like i was like yo uh uh me and elliot are gonna talk <laughs> yo and will you, will you yeah break that down? and that's where itoko found myself and rachman by the way and maybe you i, I can't remember it was that at, at that i think that all happened the same day because yeah. i presented his hip-hop yeah. chest that yeah day. yeah okay you know I mean? so yeah. shout out friendly traveler kzsu uh megahertz show and all that and raymundo killer kzsu yep um, who was on Kevy Kev's show, came up under it, was mentored by Kevy Kev. Shout out Kevy Kev, the drum. Um, all right, so from what I remember, it would have gone down like this. Um, I, I would have been teaching about drum programming and where the kick drum goes, where the snare drum goes. Typically in hip-hop beats, in most popular music, unless you're listening to a four-to-floor you know, house music or techno, boom, 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 with the kick drums hitting on the first beat, or the first quarter note, the second beat, or the second quarter note, the third beat, or the third quarter note, and the fourth. That's why they call it four to the floor. One, two, three, four. Boom, boom. I got my mic here. Poof, 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 poof. Like that, right? So that so that's four to the floor. Whereas most hip hop we listen to has a kick drum on the one and the three and a snare on the two and the four. And as Rachman brought to our pedagogy and our, our teaching you know, methodology. Billy Jean is a perfect example, as would be Got Your Money, uh, you know, like in terms of the opening breaks in those songs. Kick on the one and the three, snare on the two and the four, and an eighth note hi-hat hitting twice as fast. So you got multiplication, division, algebra, right? Patterns, pattern recognition. This is all in the in the common core math standards for like second graders third graders, fourth graders, et cetera, right? So so this is, uh, we can teach Common Core aligned curriculum and we have been for years. So that's algebra. I love this. So you have to recognize the patterns, right? I love this, dude. So see, that's what So Friendly Traveler is talking about beats per minute, tempo of the song, quarter notes that happen. That's what a beat is. A beat is a quarter note and how many times the quarter note happens in the span of a minute. It is pretty much the most... 
the, the largest unit of time in music that we use aside from a bar or a whole note, right? And that's a unit of time. So when you say I got bars, you're talking about I kick freestyles and I'm so damn nice. I kick freestyles and I'm so right. damn nice. That's one bar, right? If I said the rhyme again, I'd be rocking it twice. That's two bars. So in in that span of time, hopefully, I'm not being too white and rapping off beat, right? I'm rapping on beat. It's okay. Okay. Uh, no one no one will hold you. No one I I, I can freestyle pretty decently. I've I've been around enough rappers. And and my people been dancing for 5000 years anyway. So Jews have some of us have word, rhythm. Word, so word. anyway, um, so you rap that and you have for one bar, four beats. And if you count how many beats happen in a minute, that is your BPM or tempo of the song. So he was uh, breaking down BPM. And, you know, if you count essentially in the span of 15 seconds, a quarter of a minute, how many beats happen and then multiply by four, four times one quarter equals four over four equals one over one, that's one whole, you know, four beats in a bar. So you can right. then say, okay, right. let's count how many, I'm going to use a stopwatch, how many beats happen in a 15 second span. Then we multiply times four. We got the BBM for a song. We don't have to count the whole, you know, for a whole minute. And so then, right. you know, most, most old school hip hop, like boom bap is probably going to range from like 80 to hundred BPM, something like that, maybe 105. Most Bay area hip hop, or oh, this is generalizing a lot, but like, hyphy maybe some of the mob music you know the bay area stuff and the whole west coast sound now the dj mustards and you know whatever else right is usually going to be somewhere from like 97 to 105 maybe 107 maybe 110 beats per minute quarter notes per minute right and so you're starting to see certain algorithms certain patterns so you can that's one way of teaching some of the fundamentals of like solving for x what's the bpm how many beats happen? How many quarter notes happen? Right. right? Woo-hoo! Fire, flame, spitter. <laughs> I love this. So, now. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. For, hold on, though. Mm. I, got, I got one more question because we're really running out of time. And I got okay, and, I, and then I'm going to break down the, the, the therapeutic beat-making model super quick, and then, we'll, and then I'll, I promise I'll, I'll okay. let you go. Okay. Um, break down for me, like, you know, you do these global beat ciphers, and I just watched one on Facebook, yeah. and it was hell of dope. Right now, this is where we get into like, just like the beauty of technology and now, like in this Corona time, yep, right? Yep. Like I'm watching you talking with other dope beat makers and MCs who are all over the country, all over the world, right? And I was really moved because I, you know, um, like a particular style of boom bap and trap beats with like um, Asian strings yep. and flutes mm-hmm, and stuff, mm-hmm. right? And so for myself, I call those Bushido beats because as a jujitsu guy, I like these hip hop beats that don't have rhymes on them because I don't want other people's ideas in my head. I just want to like work out to a beat. Yo, Adisa, you, need to, you, you need to watch that episode till the end where my man Mike Larry Draw, who you need on the program from the South Bronx, Dude. has traveled extensively to what? Japan. Yo, he, he breaks down science and the, my man has his own sneaker made in Italy. That he dedicated to his mom, the I think it's the Edna Miller ones, bro. No, I, I can't. No, no. Okay, so anyway, so yeah, like, yeah. I, I hear you. Bushido, I'm watching yeah, yeah, these yeah. Beats. Yep. 
I'm watching these beats. I'm watching you chill with these dudes. I'm watching all of not just like the quality of the music, uh-huh, uh-huh. but the camaraderie between all of you. Yeah, the community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Could you tell people what a global beat cipher is and how they can observe and participate? For sure. And shout out to Shaolin Jazz, my man Two Tone Jones, Shaolin Jazz. Can I kick it? Shaolin Jazz gets love, mad love from HHCF, mad love from Bishop Cronk, yeah. Shaolin Jazz. Because my man Trey, DJ Two Tones, for the first week, I didn't curate the sample pack. And my man Two Tone Jones came through with this incredible curated sample pack containing predominantly, from what I could tell, mainly music from you know the continent of Asia. Maybe there might have been a little bit of you know Pacific Island, maybe a little bit of African influence, but mainly... In, in like keeping a theme. So this is to say, each week, usually I, but now Two-Tone Jones this week, comes through with songs, vintage songs, usually 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, sometimes 80s, from around the world, around the globe, different cultures and countries aside from the United States, as a sample pack, right? And that's given for free via our SoundCloud, Today's Future Sound, you can go to soundcloud.com slash today's future sound. You can download the beat tapes that contain all of the remixes that the beat makers from across the globe, I'm talking Brazil, Japan, South Africa, hopefully Senegal soon, uh, you know, all North America, Central America, South America, Australia, Europe, right, are remixing the, the sample pack, the free sample pack they can download 15 to 20 minutes of music from around the globe. We play it live stream it, have them perform it live, play their flips in a cipher, a beat cipher. And I've been running these beat ciphers for years. So for me, it's just, it's more of the same of all the beat battles and beat ciphers and beat showcases I've been doing for years. But virtually from their computers via, you know, Zoom being restreamed onto Facebook, or Today's Future Sound Facebook, onto Today's Future Sound YouTube, onto Today's Future Sound Twitch channel, right? This is all, you know, Today's Future Sound is my nonprofit. Uh, of which I'm executive director and um, shout out, you know, you mentioned Unlearn the World, right? Who is one of our senior instructors, also education director for Hip Hop for Change. My guy. He's amazing, right? And Derap Nerd. Shout out to Hip Hop for Change. And Derap Nerd, who's been holding it down in the juvenile hall for years, right? Et cetera. All the other staff. So a lot of these folks and extended now family, we call it Global Beat Cypher and today's Future Sound family, are coming and we just keep on pulling in more and more people and we say we say hey can I get that yeah you everyone's welcome just come come in peace come with love we're here to learn about each other we're here to to you know and really this was my response to 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 covid and to the pandemic and a way that I knew how I could respond I said okay here's what we can do we can have a beat cipher it's a way for us to fight isolation to come together and to to fight xenophobia and anti-Asian, you know, racist sentiment that I saw happening in in San Francisco in my community in the Bay Area and across my country mm-hmm. in a really messed up way. So want to promote understanding through again the medium or the vessel of hip hop and beat making and beat culture. And I can bring people together. We can, you know, for all of us to learn about other cultures and places and and get and connect with people in other other countries and create a virtual community. Um, some of these people I know, in fact, a lot of people I know from all my travels around the globe and, and some people I don't. And we've, as you said, the tenor of the community is very supportive and positive. You know, we, we, we're, we're all beat nerds and people who are not beat makers are welcome. And it's just about the community. It's about sharing the love for the beats, for hip hop culture, for beat culture, for music dope samples dope music from around the world and so you also it's all free right and so you got a free sample pack for the producers 
I don't know any. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm just going to get a little braggadocio here. Uh, I don't know anyone who's putting out sample packs like we are, like I am in terms Dude, of. Dude, listen. If you haven't, if you haven't witnessed one of these global beat ciphers, I'm telling you, you're slipping because you know what? He told me to tune in several times and I wasn't. And I have to say, I was slipping and I apologize. That is so lit. It's so dope. So like if you are about beats and you want to be like tearing it down and busting rhymes, that's the place to go do it just to practice busting rhymes to find dope beat makers oh man to observe how to be a better beat all in maker. one place like this is the thing you want to do you know what i'm saying yeah and so in closing man um how can people get a hold of you and then give me your final thoughts how can people get a hold of you because i want people to understand like th- it is important to rock with dr gan this dude is doing incredible stuff right now that the young people need and he's been doing it so he's not a johnny come lately he has been doing it and he knows what he's talking about. Man, tell him where to get at you. Cool. So if you want to check out Today's Future Sound, which I, I, I encourage folks to do, check out todaysfuturesound.org. So Today's Future Sound, sounds singular, right? Todaysfuturesound.org. Just Google Today's Future Sound. Our Instagram's pretty popping. So go to at Today's Future Sound. You can check us out on Twitter at TFS underscore Beats, B-E-A-T-S. YouTube.com slash Today's Future Sound. Um, I also, my, my moniker is Philip Drummond, Filthy Beats with a PH. Um, just Philip Drummond, two L's, P H I L L I P D R U M M, like M and M's, O N D, on uh, Instagram, uh, at Filthy Drummond with a PH. On uh, Twitter, you can email us through the website. There's a contact form. You can hit info at todaysfuturesound.org. Uh, yeah, or social media, Instagram, you know, that's, that's good too. Facebook.com slash today's future sound. Uh, we're on there too. We put up videos on there. We live stream on Facebook. We live stream on, uh, YouTube every Saturday, 7 PM PST, 10 PM EST hashtag global B cipher. Um, real quick, cause I said I was going to do it and it is at the core of what I do. Yes. Therapeutic beat making. If yes. you, if you were to hypothetically ask me, Elliot, how is beat making therapeutic? I was inserting that 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 space. Yes, I was trying to bring more emotion. No, I I got you. How is it? All right, if I had to break it down real real quick, really quick, um, I would say beat making is therapeutic in three main ways. There are three main dimensions to the therapeutic beat making model, and we've written scientific uh, journal articles, academic journal articles you can find online. I'll email them to you, and we have research data from Daily City from a middle school where we did research on it. Anyway, it is therapeutic, A, in that it helps to establish the relationship as hip-hop does in general. We talked about hip-hop as a vessel, as a, as a way, as a vehicle to establish relationships. And as I mentioned before, and I'll mention again, the number one predictor of positive therapeutic outcomes across any theoretical orientation, intervention, however you do in therapy or anything therapeutic, whatever, even if you're a coach, a basketball coach, a, you know, a, a martial arts instructor, a parent, whatever, you have to have relationship, trust, right, in order to do anything therapeutic. And so by using something that's culturally and developmentally responsive, i.e. that kids, people like, relate to, identify with, in this case, beat making, it can rapidly establish relationships. And you've seen that, Adisa, in the hall 
Uh, I don't know if you've actually seen me teach in the hall, but I'll, I'm confident in walking into. We always taught at the same time. Yeah, that's we always right. Taught at the same time, so we never got. I've taught in juvenile halls around the world, whether it's Kentucky, Hawaii, Australia, New Zealand, you know, whatever. Um, if you have technology, which is relevant to youth these days and part of popular culture we have the, these beat machines that light up and look cool and you're using hip-hop or you know if you're in south or central america maybe it's cumbia maybe it's reggaeton maybe whatever it doesn't matter right whatever that modality is using technology that's probably been influenced by hip-hop you use that is the it, it's a relationship it's a rapport builder and it, and it's pretty immediate and then you can deepen that relationship through continuing to use the modality of hip-hop and beat making where you're not stripping away someone's defenses telling hey tell me all about yourself tell me about your trauma no you're doing it through a way that's fun that allows someone to keep their defenses and come closer to you through the activity that they like enjoy and think is cool so the relationship one Right. That's the basis for any therapeutic kind of intervention to be successful. You have to have a good relationship, period. All the evidence supports that, mm -hmm. too. I talk about the expressive domain, right, or expressive dimension. And this is where I'm talking about the idea of catharsis, a therapeutic release, whether it's through running or through your art or through beat making. Right. And in addition to that, being able to like put it into express it non-verbally or if you're rapping verbally, but put it into something that's elaborating, that's saying, this is how I feel. I'm expressing it through, you know, my beats, right? Or it could be through football. Or I don't know, whatever, right? So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so we're doing it. We're, we have the, um, the cathartic element, right? And doing it in a way that's not hurting you or someone else. And there's in that, in this expressive domain, I also include the idea of neurophysiological regulation, meaning when we go into a stress response, when something really stressful happens to us, we start to freak out, we go into a fight or flight mode, or we shut down, we faint or freeze, dissociate, right? Trauma reactions. So this offers us an opportunity through repetitive predictable, rhythmic beats, repetitive beats to put our, us into light, trance-like states or bring us down, take us away from that stimulus that was really upsetting us, right? And to calm us down. So you put on your headphones, you listen to your beats, you kind of vibe out. Hopefully it calms you down. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, some music definitely makes people more excited or angry or whatever. That's a, a not very therapeutic use of it. But in, in general, and I've seen this happen with kids, a kid who was super dysregulated at a middle school in San Francisco, came into our classroom, super upset. I said, hey, bro, you want to you just hit the pads? Yeah. Five, 10 minutes later, he's been hitting the pads. He's calmed down. Right. He's more focused. Same thing about like, maybe you want to freestyle, you know, if the kids like to freestyle, whatever. Right. Okay. So we have the relation, the relational or relationship domain, the expressive domain, right? Calming us down, speaking to trauma symptoms and trauma reactions or just stress in general, right? Neurophysiologically, scientifically based. The third domain, the third dimension is the idea of self-concept. And I'm kind of talking both about self-esteem, comparing what well, self-esteem is you compare yourself to your ideal sense of self, the, the fantastical sense of self that, you know, hits all home runs, does everything perfectly. You'll never achieve it. It's unrealistic. But that's what we strive for, right? Ideal sense of self. So the, the closer you come to that through a mastery of a set of skills, through doing something good for you know society, your peers, people you value, or even yourself saying, good job, you did good. And, and your internalized, you know, your super ego in psychoanalysis or internalized conscience says, hey, good job. You did a good job. You did the dishes. Good job. You made a dope beat. Good job. Your homies say, oh, in the global beat cypher say, man, that beat was crazy how you flipped that sample. 
you, you feel better about yourself. Self-esteem goes up and down. Some For some people, it's more stable. For other people, it goes up and then it dips down. But we're saying through a master, mastering the skill of beat making in the context of the cipher for kids, because we have beat ciphers in our classes. We always play the, the beats at the end of class and you, know, you get to show it out to all your friends and homies and community because hip hop's about the community. And it's also about efficacy, the idea that you have agency and that you can have an effect on the world. You have some kind of sense of control, right? And, and that's why every time I teach someone, whether a kid or an adult, but especially kids, kids are always told no, 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 don't, 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 you know, told what to do. They don't have much choice or options. So I say, hey, I got five kick drums here. Which one is your favorite? Which one would you like? Even if it's just two, like giving them choice, a sense of autonomy, and then listening and letting them. Yeah. yeah. So, and what I say is, what we we assert is that when they make these beats, when they, you know, have control, when they get to fly the spaceship, the proverbial spaceship, when you're hitting those glowing pads on the beat machines and it's making those big, cool noises and you made it and you made something that you've heard big, cool people make on the radio or your dad or your uncle, your mom or your sister or whatever, older sister or whoever it is. And you didn't know how it worked before, and suddenly you know the secret language in the code. You can play chess. You can, you know, whatever. You can do martial arts. A sense of mastery, and your not only does your self esteem increase, but your sense of control, agency, knowledge, having self efficacy is having an effect on the world, and being able to anticipate that you can have really have an effect on the world. That's really powerful, especially for people who've been victims of trauma, have been exposed to trauma where they are out of control. To give them agency and control back is super important. And it's all integrated into this big, you know, piece of talking about now, you know, we're talking about the mm-hmm. self self-esteem, self-efficacy. So that's the self-concept. We were talking about the expressive yeah. modal, you know, expressive dimension and how it's helpful in addressing trauma and, and channeling feelings and channeling emotions into healthy, constructive ways and creating a narrative. Again, healing from trauma is about creating a narrative that you can digest and understand what happened to you and having control over it and not being controlled by it and the relationships that it builds. And that comes full circle with the Global Beat Cipher because we're giving people an opportunity to connect, to have a sense of control and mastery, to have community, to get positive feedback, to have a positive support group, relationships, efficacy, expression, human connection, love, support, identity. These things are important, man. These things are important, man. And I love it, man. So, yo... Thank you for coming on Bishop Chronicles. Oh, thank you for having appreciate me. Appreciate you immensely. All of my listeners, make sure you follow this dude. If if you're an educator, you absolutely need to know him. If you're a parent, you absolutely need to know him. And um, I appreciate you for coming on. And uh, I look forward to having you back because um, you know you're you're definitely. Um, an innovator in this space of hip hop education. You, you, you're doing measurable good work, and 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 I appreciate watching the impact that you have. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, you already know you're going to be a guest on the Global B Cipher. Folks should definitely check it out. It's on all our today's future sound streaming platforms. You will see Adisa Banjoko, the bishop, there soon enough. Yeah. If not, if not this coming episode, then one of the upcoming ones. We got really dope guests. That's right. Get Mike. Get Mike Larry draw. I got tons of people for you for this program but you already know what it is yeah thank you thank you so much all right thank you teacher what style is that don't think